Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to travel to San Francisco, Bay Area. We're going to talk to Indus and we're going to talk about a very infamous term when it comes to fintech and software companies in the last few years, SaaS business, right? What is a SaaS business? What does Indus solve? Why SaaS model is actually the appropriate one? And let's just dive into it and see what Indus has to say. How are you today? Doing very well. Day is great. It's Monday. So looking forward to it. All right. Brilliant. So let's just start off by giving people a little bit of a context, right? What's your background? How did you get to do what you do today and why you became an entrepreneur? I'm a software engineer by profession, got educated and got a college degree, moved to the United States, Silicon Valley and then saw people around me starting companies. So I thought, hey, let me try my hand. But again, fast forward to shorter story. Here I am running a SaaS business, SaaS plus fintech business, can't complain and the world is amazing. All right. So what does Qualum provide your company? What is the problem that you're solving and why SaaS is the right solution? We are a SaaS for SaaS. We are a SaaS spend management company. What we do is simply help companies and other businesses optimize or right-size their spending patterns. What I mean by that is last five to seven years, we have bought hundreds of tools. So let's say you are a high-tech organization with $10 million in revenue. You'll have at least $1 million of SaaS spend, which is Zoom, Figma, Jira, Confluence, Zendesk, Intercom, you name it. Everybody has all the same tools. We come in and we help rationalize this, thinking, hey, if you're not spending money, can we cancel it? We will detect if you're not using it, and we will ensure that no incorrect payments are made and your tools are not wasted. So think of us as you buy groceries and put it in your refrigerator. We come in and clean up the refrigerator. And this is great because I just read somewhere that in many countries now with the cost of living exploding and inflation that the people are actually going backwards in a way, at least from my perspective, and they don't use their cards and apps as much and they go back to using cash because they think they will save money this way. You have a bit of a friction, you need to go to ATM. When you see the money in your hand, then you will think twice if you want to buy another beer or something. But it sounds like if you say that we provide services for payments or spending apps, then that would have been even a better solution, right? Because you can track where the money goes. Absolutely agree. And I think to your point, the world of SaaS acquisition, what I mean by that is you and I wanting to buy something, we go online, may not need a credit card and we start using a product. It has become 
frictionless, which is positive. But the downside of being frictionless is wastage. You just buy whatever you need, not knowing whether you will need it. And you move on to the next greatest and brightest tool in your SaaS closet. And the money that you have paid for the previous one gets charged to your card on a recurring basis. Nobody is there to clean it up. So we come in and help you clean up. I see. So you also help people to clean up all of those recurring subscriptions that are supposedly there for your convenience? Correct. So recurring subscription and convenience meaning you bought it for a purpose. Let's say you are in sales. You found, oh, this is an amazing growth hack sales copywriter for your emails. And you bought it, you started using it, and then you realized, huh, it's not doing that much of a job that I expected. You move on to the next tool. But people forget about, hey, I am also using something or I paid for something, $29 a month. Somebody has to go cancel it and we forget the charge is coming to the corporate card. So that's what we help. We come in, we look at payments, we look at usage, and we right-size those tools. We cancel those and you save money on those. I see. So you pulled the carpet from underneath me. I wanted to ask you what's different between Culum and other SaaS companies. So maybe let's dive into it a little bit more. So what's your competitive advantage or unfair advantage, as people call it sometimes? We are the buyer's tool for SaaS. So if you look at a simple product which helps you sell more, so your sales technologies, your marketing tech, your customer success tools, all of these tools as an org, it may help you sell more. But where are the tools to help me buy better? If you talk to a finance or procurement organization or an IT org, they'll say, oh, I use a spreadsheet to track the 200 applications my organizational employee uses. And he often forgets, okay, who's using what, how much they are using, how much they are paying monthly or quarterly or annual. When is the contract going to renew? So we come in and ingest all of that and give you a dashboard, but more than a dashboard, set of infrastructure tools to track. So you pay using us, you track using us, you cancel using us. That's that's exciting. I remember back in the corporate world, we used to get an email every quarter. You, you are using ThinkSell. Do you still need it or can we cancel the subscription? But that was the only one that I was ever asked about. <laughs> yeah, so imagine those questions 200 times and the finance person at your door every day saying, hey, are you using this? When did you use last? Can I continue to upgrade or renew this particular tool? And it becomes a problem tracking across hundreds of employees, across hundreds of tools. Then can this be automated saying that you don't ask me every three months, but you ask me if I haven't used it for X amount of days or something like this? Correct. In our case, it's automated that you don't even have to ask. What we do is we go behind the scenes. Let's say you and I are on a Zoom call. We will take your Zoom or API token and go behind the scenes and look at the metadata, how many people logged into Zoom, how many people created meetings in Zoom. And then we will recommend to the finance and IT org saying, oh, 30% of the people don't use Zoom. Here are the list of accounts you can go and cancel or ask people, can you cancel because you're not using? So you now do data-driven rather than the whim of the person who's responding. So somebody comes to you, hey, are you using the tool? What will you say? 99% of the time say, yeah, I'm using, go away. I don't have time to talk to you right now. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. But sometimes the world is not about zeros and ones, like the computers in the computers world, but it's something in between. That What I mean by this is that with those subscription businesses, maybe people need it for three months in a year and not 12 months. So can you deal with that as well automatically somehow or how does that work? Yeah, you could put in a comment or a mandate. We don't do it exactly the what you have described, Rudolf, but we would basically come in and say, okay, tell us when you are going to stop using and we will block the charge from automatically happening unless you go and explicitly cancel. So it's like a two-part process. So you tell us, hey, I'm not going to use this after 90 days. If I plan to use, I will come back to you and tell you. So we will block any new transactions or authorization of credit card transactions onto that particular account. And we will then work with you to cancel. So semi-automated in a way, I would say. I see. All right. That's cool. So you said the alternative is so people have a spreadsheet and track it manually, etc. What is your technology angle How do you actually automate it and make it competitive? You don't have somebody doing the same thing and maybe just doing it for less money for whatever reason. But I assume there is some technology behind this. Absolutely. Of course, you could always put a human at task in the cheapest labor force countries and then outprice us. (laughs) That's possible. But in our case, it's automated. So what we do is three things. We issue what we call it as a SaaS card. Think of it as, as a corporate credit card on steroids to manage and track SaaS cloud and digital applications. So the moment a Zoom or a Figma or a Confluence charges a 25 50 or or $100 on the card, the transaction comes to us. And based on the rules in the system, we take a decision whether to allow this transaction to go through or not. So what is your contract? How much month you're supposed to pay? How many employees? And that is one part. The second part is for the same tool, in this case, Zoom, Figma, Jira, or any other, we track whether you are using it or not. Or let's say you are an org of 500 employees. How many people are using that application? And that's automated. And both of these are then shown on your dashboard saying, hey, 300 people are using, 200 people are not using. Hey, Mr. Finance Manager, can you go and cancel this account? So we'll make recommendations that are automated, and then you can save that money and use it in some other project instead of burning through the cash for not using those applications. Which reminds me another topic that there are any corporate auditors listening, they know about this. They would come to companies and look at expenses and ask about volume discounts. So does your solution help with that as well? Because you say, all right, we've got these 500 people using Zoom. But if we have 500 people coming to Zoom, then maybe we should be paying less than if they come individually. That's correct. And what this is what we call as data-driven renewals or data-driven discounts. So normally what happens is, and many companies do it, they do discounts based on who can negotiate the best. Let's say you and I are on this battle saying, oh, I'll give you it for 40 bucks and say, no, give it for my, give it to me for 10. It's like a flea market. And then we negotiate saying, okay, I'm going to give you the 20. I don't have any data, any basis for that negotiation. I just say, can I get a better price? The rock bottom as possible, the cheapest possible. But using our tool, you can now do data-driven renewals or negotiations saying, oh, my team is using 30% less. So at the minimum, I need that discount or take those seats out so that I pay exactly what I have it for. And we use that data to help our customers negotiate and get a better price on the product. 
Can you also use it for benchmarking with the competitor solutions? So saying we love Zoom, but even with this discount, WebEx now can undercut them by 50%. We have to go back to WebEx. We could. We have the data, but we have not started doing it. It pits one provider against the other. We do a much better job based on the context of the company itself in terms of if you are a small and medium business, use Zoom because that's where you're going to optimize. If you're a larger business, use WebEx or BlueJeans. If you're a Microsoft shop, don't even think about Zoom. Go with Teams and the related products. So take the context of the company rather than benchmark one or the other. Maybe in future we would do, but right now we don't. Okay, understood. So where are you on your journey now? Are you, how many clients you have and how long have you been at your mission? Yeah, we started it two and a half years ago, just an idea on a whiteboard and then started building the product. We launched it in summer, end of summer last year. Currently, 45 plus customers using the product every day, two and a half years into the making, team of 25, somewhere between zero to five million in revenue and looking to scale. This is the year that we think we have a product market fit and there's a lot of demand in terms of hey, help me optimize my SaaS because the stock market is slightly down and tech valuations have corrected. So companies have woken up saying, oh, we have to be mindful of the costs, not just grow at all costs. That was the theme for the last four or five years. Hence, you know, much more, I would would say the right word, there's an inbound, there's demand for what we are building. So... Can you share with other inspiring entrepreneurs, what's your secret recipe for growth at your company? I think two things come to my mind. So each startup is different, right? Each product and founder is different. If you are building, let's say, a product which is targeted towards small and medium business, you have to drive towards content. And in our case, we are mid-size, targeting companies with at least $10 million in revenue. I think our success lies in building a product which is highly differentiated. And I would say we timed the market slightly. Last year, if I call upon a CFO saying, hey, we have built a product that would reduce your SaaS spend. And they would say, nah, I don't need it. Go away right now. We'll talk to you later. And fast forward to today, the timing has changed because there is a need for managing expenses and we do a pretty good job in managing SaaS expenses. So I think product matters, the timing matters, and you have to do all sorts of either table stakes marketing. You have to continue to write a blog which talks about your product, your vision. You have to be active on social. I would not say any one thing that has made us grow into the place where we are, but a combination of many things that we have been doing painstakingly for the last 18 months. Wow. So that is that is great. This is some useful insight. Now, obviously, once you grow, everybody wants to grow, as you said, not at any cost. There are also some growing pains that come with it. So how does one transition from a one-person shop to what you are today? How many employees do you have today, by the way? We have 25. We started with like couple, <laughs> two years, two and a half years ago. Are you still at the level where you know everybody's first name? Yes, very much. I know everybody's first name. I do all the interviews at least 
one round of interviews depend uh, doesn't matter what the role is so how do you set yourself up for growing further maybe this is still just a plan for you but maybe from your prior experience as well how do you transition from a small startup to a big company i think you have to keep building people who could lead the team as we grow beyond to give you some specific example we pretty much wrote the code of the first version of the product using just a handful of engineers we didn't have a product manager we didn't have marketing we didn't have sales nothing just focus on the product writing the a great goddamn product and then as the time came to expand the team we promoted one of the engineers to run the team as an engineering manager and that is the philosophy that you get some early team members empower them to take decisions on their own delegate enough but again go out and help them or measure their success or failures and guide them into a direction and that's the path i'm taking so very measured pace of building the team empowering them delegating tasks to them and there have been many mistakes made and that's how they learn so it's a fine line between micromanaging them and managing them and then delegating tasks to them so that, i think that's the foundation for the next level to me i see so staying it with this personal angle uh, obviously you are an immigrant founder in the united states when did you come to the us i came twice so i came for the first time in 1999 that's like many years ago just around the time the dot com bubble burst absolutely wrong time to migrate to the united states and the second time i came when my startup in mobile security got acquired by oracle that was in 2014 i see so what was your experience of being an immigrant founder in the us do you think it was different for you than for the people who were born there or not and it's different than how Well, hasn't it was the best way to put it. It's like being born again where you have no parents, no family members and probably a few friends to call upon. I think that's what immigrants found immigrants are in any country. You come from one country to the other, you leave everything behind, your favorite notebooks, your favorite toys, nothing, just you and maybe your small family. And you have zero credentials and if you are a founder, you have no plan b you have no choice but to succeed in if your startup fails there is no moving back to your parents garage you are basically going to fail if you're going to fail you have a one way ticket back to your home country i think that's my experience has been but incredibly lucky in a way that how the last 10 15 years have turned out to be started a company sold it to oracle been here worked with some of the finest entrepreneurs and then started another one which is coolum right now a couple of years ago so as you would proverbially say chasing the american dream <laughs> all right wonderful so now let's then go back to the the tough questions in a way how do you make money as coolum i guess this is a typical subscription business just your underlying businesses or clients charge as well or or how does that work Yeah so we are a SaaS subscription business ourselves companies that become our customers pay a, a fee per month or an annual subscription and we provide those two or three services depending on the features that they select very specifically let's say you are a business with 
million dollar in SaaS spend, we will charge you anywhere between $25,000 to $35,000 a year, which is roughly $2,000 a month. And within that, we will guarantee a savings of at least the amount that we charge for. And many companies have ended up saving 15 to 20% at the minimum. So if you are spending a million dollars, we will save $200,000 to $250,000 annually on your SaaS subscriptions. And many times, canceling the products that you do not use, duplicate subscriptions in your org, you have Zoom as well as, let's say, WebEx or Microsoft Teams and Zoom. You also have people using Slack video call, but they also have a Zoom account, which they never logged in. Evaluating and recommending and canceling. So very simply, work like a SaaS. Customers pay a SaaS fee, and then we help them save X amount of dollars every month, every year. Sounds great. I think that the point that you made that you guarantee that you will save the client as much as you are charging them, I think that has to be a crucial selling point. But how do you set that level? Is that from your experience that these sort of companies in the state of California that you already worked with, they generally waste 20, 30% of their SaaS subscription fees and therefore you can price it X, Y, and Z or you are willing to take a hit at the beginning and then you will sharpen your pencil going forward? No, so we have seen based on our experience working with 40 plus companies in the last 12 months or so that 20-30% is very easy to save because many of these tools which we see people not logging in, not using the product, not creating meetings. So that's number one. Number two is when a customer onboards, we give them what we call a SaaS audit. It's part of the onboarding program where they list down all of their applications, give us the headcount of the department, And that spreadsheet at the end of the onboarding cycle will give us an indication saying, oh, looks like an easy candidate for 15, 20% savings. And of course, we justify our fees to the customer saying, this is how we could potentially save. We do not know enough beyond this audit sheet, but looks like in that's the direct customers come back and then discuss more details in terms of how they could help. I see. So you set the price after you've done this initial audit, right? We set the price up front, but the audit tells us where they could save. For example, if they have a million dollars in SaaS and they have negotiated only one contract, which is Salesforce, it's very difficult to negotiate and save on Salesforce unless you have contracts that are... If you have a three-year contract for Salesforce and we come in and say, hey, help us reduce by 15%, if the contract does not allow, we cannot. So. That audit helps us understand the variety of apps and whether each one of them can save the amount that we think we could save. I see, I see. All right. So before we go, I just have two easy questions for you. One is, do you have a favorite business book that you could recommend to people? So I love reading the history of many things like history of business, history of mankind or tech or human ingenuity, whether it's a history of Brooklyn Bridge or the Wright Brothers uh, inventing airplanes or Woz and Jobs creating Apple. So my most recent one that I read is a book called Inside 3Com. I'm sure many people do not remember. It was the hottest tech startup that few people even recall. They created Wi-Fi, they created Ethernet, they created email, and now it's all withered away. So it's a great lesson for all of us as entrepreneurs on things that could potentially go wrong. Currently, this is my favorite 
book to read. Others include Only the Paranoid Survived by Intel CEO Andy Grove, very much on the same lines. The travels that all the entrepreneurs and the founding team has to go through, I think those two are great books. The 3Com is my current favorite. Great stuff. Now, so where could people find out more about Quorum? And uh, what kind of people would you like to hear from most? Yep. Founders and entrepreneurs who love to connect. I am Indus, I-N-D-U-S, Khetan on LinkedIn. Feel free to send me a connect request. Kolum can be found on kolum.com, Q-U-O-L-U-M.com. And founders and finance and procurement professionals looking to save money on SaaS, we could definitely come in and help. All right. Brilliant. I'll put the links in the show notes as well. So good luck to you, Indus and Kolum. Yep. Thank you. And it was great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceoffintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.